0: Wherever and whenever this podcast finds you, thank you for tuning in and welcome to the Bitcoin Weekly Wrap Up for January 17th, 2020. This week's wrap-up is once again sponsored by etoro it is a very innovative and cool platform that includes a social media presence of about 11 million other traders it allows people whether they are beginners or whether they are advanced traders to be able to trade securely and confidently with their bitcoin or other crypto assets If you're new, you can use things like the uh, virtual trading uh, wallet where you can trade with fake money, practice your strategies using real order books and see what's working and what is not. You can also copy great traders that are already out there, people that you follow, that you think that they have a good strategy, that they have had good returns, and you can allocate one to 100% of your profile to Copy trade them whenever they trade. Uh, they buy Bitcoin at a certain price. Your portfolio buys Bitcoin at that price. Whenever they sell, it sells for you as well. If you're an advanced trader, you can use that feature to your benefit as well because you are actually taking a little bit of profit off of what those people make, and that gives you basically the ability to turn your trading around with ten thousand dollars or a hundred thousand dollars into. Mil- possibly millions of dollars as well so it's a really cool service if you go to diginocryptocom slash etoro that's e-t-o-r-o you can you all well, it does a couple things one it lets them know that you came through me so it makes me happy and it makes the sponsors happy if you do that as well you can actually get fifty dollars for free subject to minimum deposits which i believe is around two hundred dollars so everybody is winning so let's uh let's welcome you guys and well actually i'm looking for my sorry put my cup down there um, welcome to the beautiful basement by the bay studios joined as always by my 1995 batman forever mcdonald's riddler cup which i didn't fill with anything before this episode because i was just uh filming an interview prior to it and i drank everything in it so just poured a little bit of water so i don't look like a doofus sitting here all right let's look at the price and You know, we continued another pump this week. So last week, when I did this, it was ending at about seventy nine eighty as of the recording last Thursday. And if you'll bear with me here for a second, let's look at what the price is at the moment. It is currently eighty seven. Oh wow, eighty seven seventy four. So it just did another little, little pump up here. So last week when we ended it, like I said, we were at like seventy eight seventy nine hundred. Uh, by the following Saturday, it had broken 8,000. And then on Tuesday, it jumped up all the way up to 8,200, topping out so far at about 8,879 on Wednesday and approaching that again here real real soon. So maybe I was wrong. Maybe uh, the halving was not priced in and maybe people are jumping on the Bitcoin bandwagon for a little bit of FOMO. We will see as things develop. Uh, Today's first story is back to the digital yuan. Uh, In a statement by the People's Bank of China, the PBOC, they said they were finalizing top-level design of the project project and setting industry standards that would be followed by uh, Chinese people uh, or people of of the Chinese mainland and as well as those who interact with it. Uh, They also mentioned that the yuan would have quote-unquote controllable anonymity. Now, we all know what controllable anonymity anonymity means. It means that the Chinese government can look into your finances, but not theirs. And this is not surprising at all, given the surveillance state mentality of the Communist Party and then basically the need for any totalitarian government to know as much as is humanly possible about their citizens. Uh, their power is not in convincing you that their way is better, but the fear of the threat of force to mold you into what they view as being the proper citizen and knowing where and when you spend your money is a big, big part of that. In a related story as well, there was a mention of this 200 page manual called the digital currency, a reader for cadres, not ominous at all. And it actually began its second printing now in China this month. And this manual is mainly for uh, Chinese Communist Party officials to introduce them to the concepts of digital currency, its coming impact on the global economy, and even stating that they believe it's historically inevitable. I believe it's a collection of articles, so it's not necessarily the Communist Party saying it's historically inevitable, but inevitable. But whoever wrote that article. But they are, in fact, kind of inferring and giving their uh, imprimatur for the entire whatever set in there uh, basically by putting it out as uh, literature by the party you know in the world of bitcoin we're very you know preoccupied with um, raising the awareness of bitcoin and what it offers and what it can offer to people and this is you know with all that though with the raising of awareness this is very much a double-edged sword for us You know, we've enjoyed for a very long time um, and to a large extent still do the ignorance of those who can stifle our growth. So the best place that Bitcoin can actually be is in this upward trend of public awareness and a stagnant line of how public officials understand it. But this is not sustainable. um, Considering that public officials and governments always begin to take interest as well as regulatory action or even more severe action um when public awareness kind of reaches this tipping point and i think that we are reaching that or have already reached it but i will say that chinese uh, officials seem to be ahead of the curve compared to western western nations in interest and understanding of bitcoin's growing and future impacts and that is likely because in the West, public interest is more about its ability to make money for them as a speculative investment or instrument, while in China, it's a way to have a portable, you know, store of value, a way to bring your money wherever you go and to send it to wherever you want to, uncensored. And you know, this is very much unlike a yuan-based bank account um, in China, for America or Germany seeing it as something people make money on isn't viewed as a threat to the system. They are more concerned with making sure people pay their taxes and that's not used for, you know, money laundering or whatever. But, you know, that that's kind of something that they already deal with. It's not an existential threat. It's not an existential threat to their model of control, but it is a existential threat to how China controls their populace. Um, next up, We have, sorry about that, guys. Uh, Next up is a uh, a story about Venezuela's empanada in chief, Nicolas Maduro. He signed a decree recently that would sell four and a half million, million barrels of oil from their self-certified 30 million barrel reserve as, or one of their uh, 30 million barrel reserves as a sign of, you know, real backing of the Petro. After this sale, the a uh, state-backed firm is supposed to sell about 50,000 barrels a day, but it's going to be denominated in Petro's as a way to consolidate the Petro. By selling it only for the Petro, they want to force international consumers, um, mainly other world governments or companies, to have to go to them to exchange dollars for the Petro, um, dollars or euros or whatever it may be, whatever they decide to take. Um and they also, in the same degree, said that they were going to only, uh, from here on out, only sell jet fuel for international routes, only for Petro. But as a side note, this is important. It's, I think that they do want the Petro to work, but either way, this works in their favor, because what it is doing is it is bringing continued foreign currency into the country. They need foreign currency because nobody's taking the Bolivar. They need dollars. They need euros. They need, you know, uh, kroners. They need uh, pounds. They need whatever they can get because to buy anything on the international market, nobody's going to take their currency. So they need something else. And nobody's taking Petros either. So this is another way of bringing international currency into into their country. Um, This is... I hate to call it a good first step but I mean it's in contextually it is a good first step to adding something of legitimacy to the petro but there are you know many problems with this so first off the backing of the petro was um cut right from the original 5 billion barrels that they originally said it was going to be backed by to now just 40 million back in November who knows what it is going to be next but 5 billion to 40 million is really big that's that's like a lot um although uh, to be fair a bit this was probably less uh because they didn't or because venezuela decided to do it this way and has a lot to do with further u.s sanctions that have come down um the second thing is that the original originally when they proposed the petro and they talked about the backing it was supposed to be backed by this undeveloped oil field, or I should say, it was backed by their oil. And after investigation of the specific field they talked about, this was, that that field was basically totally undeveloped. They they knew oil was down there, but there was absolutely no infrastructure at all. Um, And while I can't confirm that they haven't ramped up the infrastructure development to actually get this field producing, um, this... It it sounds more like, and I I just didn't have the time to look at the specific field that they're pulling this from versus the one that they were talking about and whether those are related, because that was probably going to be a very long process to do that. Um, It looks like more of what they're doing is kind of a shell game of selling oil from an already developed, you know, different field versus the one that they said is backing it. I guess at the end of the day, as long as it's backed by oil, who really cares? But this is just kind of further proof of their... Inability to kind of stick to what they're saying. It's a trusted system. Um, that kind of rolls into the third problem. You know, the same problem of this oil field versus this oil that the oil field that the four point five million barrels is coming from is once again it was initially five billion barrels in reserves backing it. Um, when sold, when that was sold, that do we even know if it's even linked to the existing Petro? So we, no one really knows what fields are backing it or what. And this is the problem with any physically backed digital asset: is you have to be able to trust the agency that's basically certifying it. You have to trust them when they say, you know, this token is one for one with a dollar, or this token is one for one with a bar of gold, or this token is one for one with a barrel of oil. Bitcoin. It's natively digital, the UTXOs, that is the things that you, that that's represented by when you open up your wallet and says you have one Bitcoin or half a Bitcoin or whatever. Those UTXOs are, that are in that wallet, that are, that are associated with that private key is what actually has value. The Petro can only be as valued as much as the word of the people who say that it's linked to that oil, or in the case of it, some other physically linked token, you know, whoever is saying that it's linked to that, that's all the value is. The value is in, not in the token, the value is not in what they said it's backed by, the value is in how much you actually trust that person, that what they're saying is truth. That's it. With Bitcoin, you don't have to do that. The whole point of a cryptograph- cryptographically secure digital currency was that you don't have to trust anybody, right? You can verify it for yourself, um basically a a digital version of being able to walk into the bank go yourself go through that safe door hold and weigh and count the gold that they say is in reserve for that account or for all accounts right with bitcoin we don't have to worry about that at all you don't have to trust that the utxos that they say you got sent are, are, are in fact sent to you. You can verify that for yourself. You don't have to worry about what's in your wallet is actually yours. You can verify that. This has always been my problem with these physically backed assets is that now it adds a trusted third party into a system that was supposed to remove trusted third parties and does, they're just adding another facet an unnecessary point of friction and a necessary point of trust into something that you know, doesn't need it. It already works in Bitcoin. Um, the uh, next story was really fun. So I don't know how long whoever you are that may be listening or watching have been in Bitcoin, but if you had been around from basically 2012, 2013, you'll know what I'm talking about. We, um, we saw some archeologists in New Jersey, You know, they uh, decided to dig up a really old anti-bitcoin narrative that being terrorism so you know new jersey just decides to continue its long tradition of being slow and efficient and behind the times apparently though you know but it, it's on a serious note though they're, they're uh, counterterrorism chief for new jersey which is actually you know, much more important than, say, the one in Kansas. Uh, but, you know, being as close as they are to New York and major me- metropolitan areas, this is somewhat holds holds some gravitas uh, within government systems. And he appeared before Congress. I believe his name was Jared Maples. Uh, he appeared before the Congress a Monetary Subcommittee to say that domestic terrorists will increasingly increasingly turn to Bitcoin as they are, quote, unquote, uh uh, able to mask those movements basically saying that they're going to turn to bitcoin because they're going to be able to mask the movements of the money that's coming to them and going out so uh representative brad sherman if you remember him from the libra hearings and any other hearing about bitcoin uh continued his own tradition of fear-mongering over any technology that uh that has occurred post gramophone days by saying if bitcoin works for hamas It will work for Nazis as well. And, you know, this really isn't surprising that they're now focusing on the so-called domestic terrorist threat and trying to raise fear because they're trying to raise fear not amongst Americans. They're trying to raise fear amongst a very specific group of people. And that is people on the left who have been inundated. Why did I say it like that way? Inundated with propaganda, that there's this very large and a very large growing threat of literal Nazis in America, right? Um, this was also something that, you know, it, this is a rehash. We always see like these cyclical events. Um, right-wing extremism was, the growing militia threat was something that was passed around post-Cold War. They There was a need to find a new enemy of why we need to continue to have things like uh, domestic surveillance and militarization of the police you know it went from the russians could come at any time there's kgb agents all over the country and we need to be ready for the communist threat to communists are gone okay now what right-wing militias right and then it went from right-wing militias into uh, islamic terrorism if you notice there's always this thing it's did islamic terrorism not exist prior to that no it just wasn't really a focus it was the right-wing militias Islamic terrorism took over, right-wing militias were no longer a problem, and now apparently they are again. And I don't mean to say that there aren't threats from individuals within this movement, right? We have seen something like um, Timothy McVeigh, right? Propaganda and stuff like that, that that came from this sector of society that you can loosely frame as right-wing militia did influence him to do what he did it's not that there aren't threats from it but it's just not as big of a threat and then this idea of now attaching well bitcoin can mask their movements which we all know is really not not really masking their movements but anyways um the you know this guy the counterterrorism chief jared maples was actually you guys will enjoy this he was kind enough to say that the government should quote unquote remained mindful Of constitutional rights when considering um, oversight and regulations of bitcoin it's really nice that he decided to you know say uh you know acknowledge that you know that there's rights that should be minded right it is important though he did not say they shouldn't be infringed You know, we have to be careful that we don't get anywhere close to that line at all. Just, hey, be mindful. There's some right stuff out there. You know, We just probably be aware that they exist. Um, This is important, right? Because the choice of words of being mindful versus shall not infringe or, you know, we can't even get close to that line or whatever, right? The latter would indicate like basically this hard line in the sand, right? We're not going to get anywhere near it. But his statement was basically being that we need to find all the wiggle room that we can up to the point where we can't get away from it. This is why privacy features like coin joins are so important that they become standard practices for everybody. Because the more that participate, the more moot any attempt to infringe on our right to privacy becomes. Some people could take this out of context and say, are you saying that you want to mask Nazis movements? Absolutely not. I am not saying that. Uh, What I am saying is that you cannot have a right that is good for everybody that doesn't also enable the worst people in society at all. Like, I am not, you know, like, just, you know, the intimation of saying that Nazis should be allowed to, you know, have the same rights as everybody else or whoever you want to fill in the blank, right? Fill in the blank, bad guy. Uh, into you know, a lot of people will try to intimate that and say, "Well, well, does that mean you have sympathies?" Absolutely not. Like, you know, my my wife is Puerto Rican and my kids are half Puerto Rican. I don't I don't think I'd find a very um, a very uh, a warm welcome with these people, and they would probably actually consider me being even worse than anybody else. Um, but that that's a side note. This idea that we can somehow find a way to acknowledge these whether you acknowledge them as natural rights or God-given rights or necessary, whatever you want to call them, you know, the rights of free speech, free association, the ability to have privacy over your life and any other aspect that you choose not to share, that we can have that for everybody. And, but also restrict those from people that are bad. You can't, that is always the trade-off with freedom. Um, And the last story That is one I, of course, cannot not comment on is, you know, my favorite little piggy, Craig Wright. Uh, Over the last week, you know, BSV pumped about 300%. They went from about 80, 90 bucks to uh, almost touching 400. They may have busted 400. I'm not sure. And this was supposedly on the news um, as, you know, uh, paraphrasing the judge in this case, as they called it the shadowy figure of the bonded courier arrived. Now, if you remember in my other updates, uh, you know, in my other weekly wrap-up updates, as we approach January, with Jan 1 being the listed date um, and was cited in one of the Tulip Trust documents as the date the courier would arrive and give Craig access to his 1.1 million bitcoins he claims he has in this trust, as we approached that, he he and his team and the BSV community be, began to kind of more manage expectations, you know, saying things like, "Well, we never said January first, or we never said January. It may be June. It could be two more years. We never said that the the courier was going to bring the private keys. It could just be the public addresses." So this was actually met by this attempt to manage expectations with a lot of deflated and sometimes total contempt for him by people in the bsv community and you know with i I saw at least or i saw specifically one person in these conversations um who was you know somebody that when i look back on their profile over the top very supportive of anything that's ever been said by craig you know basically saying that you know this is completely disappointing and i am totally let down by all this you know, the, the fact that they were just goalpost shifting kind of, uh, you know, in the fourth quarter there. And the, you know, judge in the case had issued an order on the 10th of January, basically, right? The first had come and passed, courier never showed up. And or, I'm not sure, was it the 10th? I'm not 100% sure. But basically the judge said you had until February 3rd to show proof of the courier and possession of the trust As he stated that he was going to get that month or actually the beginning of that month. And actually, uh, I believe it was, maybe it was like the 12th or 13th because within a day of the judge granting that order, right? Within 24 hours, the next day, Craig announces, you know, the couriers arrived and his lawyers filed with the courts that, you know, he, he separately said it on Slack. Couriers here, keys have arrived you know, we're filing tomorrow, right? And then his his lawyers filed as well that the courier had arrived. And so then the BSV community jumped for joy. We're proven right. Craig has the keys. The haters can eat it. And then the price pumps 300%, right? Now, it seems though some have have said that the delistings from major exchanges has made BSV volume uh, much lower than a, definitely Bitcoin, definitely things like Ethereum or Ripple or anything like that. And it's possible that there's a whale pump involved because it was just a very quick boom on up. But this is actually, you know, I have to say it's merely speculation on my part. I don't have any evidence to prove this. And I do lean to that, but that could also be my own bias against Craig and the BSV project talking. So I will say that. But after the big announcement and uh, the court filing, what we saw, you know, pretty quickly after was the plaintiff's legal team, Ira Kleiman's legal team, basically countered this filing by saying that all that had been shown, all of them, and all had been filed by Craig's legal team, was just a list of sixteen over? It was like sixteen thousand four hundred public addresses. Um, that was it. No mention of the courier, when they arrived, who they work for, um, n- no information at all. Where, where was it delivered to London? Was it Where was it delivered, right? Because when Craig and all this stuff set it, set it up, he was not living in London at the time. He was still in Australia. Dave was in Florida. So how does the courier know where to go? So somebody had to have been in contact. The idea of, well, they don't know who the courier is. Nobody knows who the courier is, but somehow the courier figured out where Craig Wright lives. I mean, I guess they could have done Google or whatever, but it seems very weird to me that you, you, you're going to leave instructions for the courier to just, hey, Google this guy's name and then deliver it there. Seems, I don't know, a little bit weird, but whatever. Um, so Kleiman's legal team has now requested the name of the courier service, the name of the guy or, or woman who actually delivered it, as well as a bunch of other information. Do you have the keys? Do you have possession of the keys? Blah, 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 blah. All this kind of stuff. And that motion has actually been granted by the court. They get, uh, I'm not a legal expert, so they get like seven interrogatories uh, regarding, uh, I'm guessing they get to ask a certain amount of questions um, to about these bonded couriers and who it was and all that kind of stuff. And all this is really just kind of very much what I expected, classic Craig Big promise. Keys have arrived. All this. We're filing in the court. We're going to set it straight. And then what happens? I just give you a list of public addresses. I could have provided a list of twenty thousand or five thousand public addresses. Anybody listening or watching could do that, right? And really, all his follow-throughs have always been basically as substantive as you know uh, an air, gar- air guitar competition, right? It's that much substance. And actually, in fact, uh, we have a video of the bonded courier evidence uh, being submitted. So if you look down here, if you're listening, go to the YouTube, the YouTube, what am I like, 50? Go to YouTube and you can actually see it right now. But this is a a video that I was able to obtain through a variety of sources. We lost many men uh, getting this information to the rebellion today. Mm. Compelling and rich. So that's it for this week's uh Bitcoin Weekly wrap-up. I want to thank you for listening. I'd like to thank you for watching. Please subscribe and leave a review on iTunes. Just go to my website at crypto.com click on the Apple iTunes. Um, little icon right there if you are on youtube please click right over here the little red subscribe button if you're on mobile it's a little bit lower subscribe hit that bell that lets you get notified anytime i upload a video in the future please show some love to my sponsors at digitalcrypto.com slash etoro and also Get some free discounts on things like Trezor, Mushroom Coffee, Bitcoin tax software, um, Bitcoin art. I got a bunch of different stuff on there. Absolutely free. Supportmypodcast.com shows ways to support the podcast. But if you click on listener, supporter, discounts button, it'll take you there and you can get all those discounts for absolutely free. I want to be able to give back to you as much as I can uh, to you guys and gals that are listening. So thank you again and Have a great night.